This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, good morning from California, Heidi. Morning, Mom. How are things in New York in May? Oh, they're beautiful. Spring here is wonderful. Yeah, it's a gorgeous place in the spring, so it's it's nice. And as we always say, uh, for some people, the spring is a happy awakening time, and for those of us who have had a loss, it can be a kind of a kind of sad thing, almost almost too bright for us, don't you think? Yeah, Mom, and I think that's a really, really good point. Um, and, you know, Mother's Day was a week ago, and so for some people that was a difficult time and maybe a setback. So, yes, you know, this can be a beautiful time for some of us, and it can be a difficult time. And, you know, some of us, when we're grieving and in, in a very bad place, we want the re- weather to reflect how we're feeling. And mm-hmm. We want to... We'd like to stay in bed and pull the covers over our head, maybe, huh? Well, Heidi, I hope everybody's enjoying our new website. We really worked hard to bring you a website that uh, would be able to reflect the things that you need from the Open to Hope Foundation. And we are so happy with the people that write for us. And our guest today is one of our writers for the Open to Hope Foundation. And we hope you'll go on our website and click on... Um, the author site and read uh, the works of the people who've written for us and uh, also get our books from Open to Hope because we've selected some of the best of Open to Hope for you uh, in the books that we've written and our ebooks. So Heidi, uh, why don't we introduce our author today? Yes, I'd love to. And it's interesting because here we are talking about spring and I've got to tell you, Mary Rando Westra's website is so spring. It's gorgeous. You've got to go on it and it's I'm looking at it right now, and it just reminds me of spring, and it puts me in such a good mood to look at it. I love it. Um, and Mary has been through a lot, and she really is someone that can show us that despite great adversity in life, we are able to find help after loss, because Mary, um, her son was murdered, and after the murder of her son, she started writing um, about about him, and she wrote a great book called after the murder of my son. And Peter was 24 years old, and he died in 2001. And we met her because she gave the keynote address at the National Conference for the Compassionate Friends in 2011. And she's here today to tell us her story and to tell us how she was able to find hope and go on after her son Peter died. Welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you both. It's so great to have you on the show today. And um, Mary, I was reading your book um over the weekend and uh, all those pictures of Peter and, and the way you weave his story into what was going on with you at the time of the trial and, and all sorts of things. You've really done a beautiful job. Were you, were you a writer before this? Uh, I had always liked to write, and I did have a habit of writing through times of crisis or adversity, but, you know, it was just scribbles on a legal pad and then I'd rip the pages out and stick them in the bottom of my underwear drawer and never, ever read them, never go back. And so you pulled them together and used some of those things in the book? Well, I didn't go back to those. Uh, I'm talking about earlier times before. Oh, oh I see. Time. Oh, yeah, before Peter. You know, when I, when I had written earlier during times of crisis, uh-huh. I had never reread anything. So it was perhaps 
um, natural for me to turn to writing my thoughts down after Peter's death. And at first, it was a compulsion to just remember, remember everything about what happened, who came, who said what, who brought what, um, and then gradually a way to remember Peter. Um, you know, what was he like at the different stages of his life? What did he say? What were our interactions were like? And gradually it became a way to pay tribute to him and ever so gradually a way to understand my feelings. But that didn't come. That didn't come right away. It's one thing to just dump the feelings on a piece of paper, the catharsis of just getting it off my chest so that I could go to sleep at night. I'd have to sit down in my specific chair in my room where I had a picture of Peter and another little white little polar bear that reminded me of him, and I would just simply have to get the feelings uh, out of my heart so that I could go to sleep that night. And then the real healing, I think, came when I would take some time to go back and read years you know, a few years after the event, read those earlier um, cathartic, uh, dumpy, self-absorbed feelings and see some change in myself over time. Ah, uh, that's nice to, to talk about seeing change over time. Well, you have a very dramatic story and, and uh, a, a lot of crisis in it, a lot of disappointment. Um, it, it, just what your family went through, the ups and downs. I mean, you started out with this Pretty perfect family, you know, if, if people are looking in from the outside, a wonderful son who was an investment banker, a daughter who was in medical school, a, a daughter who eventually goes through law school. I mean, you guys are bikers, you go fishing, you go skiing. I mean, <laughs> your whole story is just one of uplift and joy. And then you have this incredible experience where your son is killed by a bouncer in Atlantic City at a... Um, uh, an event for somebody who was going to get married, right? A bachelor party. That's what I was trying to come up with. And then going through all the trial and, and mistrial and, and, uh, and then you ended up with a plea bargain for the person who, uh, killed Peter? Yes. It was disappointing. After yeah. three and a half years after Peter's death to feel that we were sort of shortchanged by the justice system. But there's no, no way we ever would have been satisfied with whatever they would have dished out in terms of punishment or sentencing. It's it's always interesting, and I know we have friends out there who have been through the legal system, and and there are people listening who've been through it. It's such a disappointment, isn't it, in the end, when you you think you're going to feel better. And uh, even if you get, we just had somebody in our compassionate friends group whose son was uh, stabbed to death at a Giants game, and um, the guy got... um, I think it was 20 years or something like that. And and he wrote a note to the family while the pre-trial saying how sorry he was and they ho- he hoped they'd understand and all that. And they felt that was manipulative because, you know, he wanted a, a better sentence and the family staring at each other and all the, oh, it's really it's really hard, isn't it? It, it is hard. Uh, the uh, prosecutor at the sentencing um, said something that I just didn't understand understand at the time. He, he said something that the number of years in prison, Peter's life not be measured in the number of years in prison that his killer receives, but rather by the amount of love that remains in the hearts of those who mourn him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's just no way we, we as, you know, victims, as co-victims, can be satisfied by 
a judicial system which really is basically concerned with the perpetrator. That's their purpose. Well, Heidi, does this bring up any thoughts for you? Heidi's been working with the 9-11 families, the firemen families for um, since 9-11. Does this bring up anything to you about those families, Heidi, where they've had, a, you know, they don't like it when people say their spouse, their spouse died. He was, and they remind you, he was murdered. Right. What it brings up for me when I hear Mary's story is, as, and I'm, I'm not going to speak for her, but what I found with the 9-11 families is here they are going about their lives, and then suddenly their their spouse or their child or their father, they were all of them, is murdered, and they're kind of like, how could have this happened to us? You know, I mean, how did these kind of things happen? It's just, it seems so surreal. And I guess for Mary, what I'd like to ask her is, what would you like the world to know? Because, I mean, we need to be educated to a certain extent about what is different when you have a child that's murdered. I mean, what is it important for people to, to know about that? I don't know if that makes sense. Well, yes, in part, um, don't be too complacent. You know, mm-hmm. it actually can happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. And I didn't necessarily want murder in the title of my book. I wanted it in the subtitle because there's, uh, very little on the shelves of grief about losing a loved one to murder. But really, after the murder of my son is a little too graphic for um, this Minnesota nice mother of three. But right. I can't tell you what a purpose it served because at every mm-hmm. reading I do, there's somebody who sneaks up to me afterward through tears in their eyes. They say, we too had a loved one mm. lost to murder. It's such a stigma. There's such a shame attached to murder. Like, you know, it only happens over there in that neighborhood. Or Mm -hmm. the victim must have been courting danger in some way. And, you know, that's not the case. Absolutely. I mean, Richard... In all cultures, all neighborhoods, you know, all continents, unfortunately. And we can all have to strive for ways to work to mitigate the causes of violence. Mm -hmm. You know, I think one of the reasons that people want to try to find a a reason, I know uh, my son was killed in an automobile accident, which is very different, but people wanted to believe that his cousin who was driving and he had been drinking or using drugs, or they really wanted to believe that. Or, or Mom, the worst thing is they, they don't want to hear that they actually had their safety belts on. People right, don't want right. to hear that. And the bottom line is they did have their safety belts on. Sometimes people die, and they're doing everything right. You know, they did everything right, and they still die. You know, And that I, is just that, that need to find a reason to explain yes. the explainable is just what's so horribly, horribly offensive to, mm-hmm. to, new, uh, to family members who are newly suffering through the, the horrible atrocity. I mean, to to play to blame the victim um, yep. is it's it's just like you know blaming a young girl in in cases of rape for how she was dressed or where she was. It's mm-hmm. totally unfair. There yeah. is, but I think unfair. the reason they do it is because it's so threatening that if they can figure out how that person did it themselves, then it won't happen to them and it won't happen to their family. They discuss it with other people, but don't discuss that with the. Yeah, it's a way to keep it safe. Well, and it is a way to keep it is a way for people to keep it safe because people don't. It's difficult for people to believe that bad things happen to good people. 
Right. It's like we don't want to wrap our arms around the fact that you can go downtown to Wall Street, you know, close to where I live, and walk into the World Trade Center and do your own, do your job and die, mm-hmm. you know, or all these other ways, Peter, et cetera. You can go to a bachelor party and and die. I mean, it's it's very frightening for people to have those thoughts in their heads. Mm-hmm. So I love, yes, I love that you're reaching out to so many people with the story of Peter and his, the life he lived and, you know, what happened to you and how you guys have gotten through this. I'm wondering about the whole marathon thing. I mean, I've been looking at your site. You've run marathons, and I wonder if there's any correlation. We might be getting off topic here, but any correlation between running a marathon and what you've been through in, in your own journey and kind of any life lessons that you learned in running the marathon that have helped you to find hope. Well, thank you. Getting, you know, following a goal. I, I, I say if, if, if I could run a marathon, anyone could run a marathon. And for me, a big part of it was setting an example for my kids. This was a long time ago. But it's just setting a goal and working ever so slowly towards a goal. It also, um, I don't know, what does it have to do with grief? Um, if you want to live, if you decide at some point that you're going to live, that you're not going to let this end your life and your productivity, and, you know, if you can't contemplate joy, at least your satisfaction in life, and you're going to strive for that, you'll get there over time. It's baby steps. It's one day at a time. It's a lot of falling back, but, you know... Gradually, you will get there. I remember coming home from the trial uh, after um, the after the mistrial, actually. And my husband, we unpacked our bags, and then my husband said, "I I need to go to work and check on my email. Will you be all right, Mary?" And I whimpered, "Yes." And he left the house, and I threw myself on the floor of Peter's rooms and banged my fist on the carpet and wailed as I hadn't for months. And then. After some time, I got up again, and I proceeded with some trivial task I don't even remember. And that's just how it happens. You just, Mm -hmm. over and over again, you just pick yourself up, and you do what needs to be done. Mary, I wanted to ask you, there's one thing, uh, because I wanted to bring this up with Heidi, and that is where uh, you, Rabbi Kushner that wrote uh, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, uh, you heard him speak, and he said that there had been studies then that shown that 100% of uh, people, children, the parents had felt or had given them more attention after the loss of a sibling, and 100% of the siblings felt neglected, uh, even though the parents gave them more time. And Heidi... I said to Heidi, what do you think about that, Heidi? And, and you had a good comment, Heidi. Why don't you give us that? Well, like my mom was saying, she was saying that the siblings felt, the surviving siblings felt that our parents had given us them more time. We had gotten more time after the sibling loss. My my reaction was, well, yes, but what kind of time were we getting? Mm-hmm. You know, and that was what the reaction kind of, of my daughters. daughters. Mm-hmm. Yes. That yes, was the reaction kind of, of my daughters. Were we getting? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A couple years after the fact, my uh, younger daughter approached me and she said, you know, um, why are you vegetating? Because I've vegetated a lot after Peter's death. We do. Mm-hmm. But she said she felt she lost her mother at the same time as she lost her brother. And she said, yes, you you called me and you talked to me. She was away at college and communication was difficult then. She mm-hmm. didn't have a cell phone. She said, you always asked me about your my grief. She said, you always wanted to talk to me about Peter. You never asked me about me and my hopes and my dreams. 
dreams and what I wanted to do after college and how I was going to get there. And it's true. Heidi, did you feel that way? Um, yes. I, I felt like I had to be a support system for my parents because I, I knew they had been through so much. And, Mom, I knew you and Dad had been through so much that I felt like I kind of had to be there for them and kind of hiding my own grief to a certain extent and be supportive to them and let them kind of go on on and on. And sometimes I didn't want them to keep talking about my brother because I needed to be a normal, regular college student. And But I didn't know how to tell them stop because I felt exactly. like it wasn't my role and it was. I felt like they'd been through too much, so I would let them go on and on and think, you know, I really need to get on with just trying to be a regular student here and not just talking about Scott and Matthew and what happened. It's a really, it's a really weird place to be. The other thing I hear um, people say all the time, kids and et cetera, is that after a sibling dies, our parents become very overprotective of us because they're terrified that something else is going to happen. And not all parents do that, but some do. Right at a time when people, you know, kids are wanting more autonomy, teenage years, young adult years, they get kind of pulled back into the system in many ways. And it, it is a double loss because we, we lose not only our brothers, but we lose the family we once had, at least initially. We lose the emotional availability initially of our, of our family and our parents. Mm-hmm. Well, before we end the show, I wanted to find out uh, from you, Mary, what happened to, is it Shiad? Shahid. Mm-hmm. Shahid, yeah, that uh, actually was the one that uh, killed Peter. Is he out of prison or is he still in? He's out of prison. He uh, served six years of a seven-year sentence. Um, and unfortunately, the system uh, designed to inform us when he was released from prison failed us and Wow. We did not know when he got out of prison um, until the um, seven years had passed and we inquired on our own. Last we heard, he was appealing uh, deportation um, uh, on grounds that he would be persecuted in his native country for his faith. And we understand that that appeal process can take years, and during that time he can kind of fade back into uh, U.S. society and... Um, you know, he'll never become a citizen, and he'll never enjoy a lot of the privileges of being an American citizen, but he he, he can continue to um, to live here in the U.S. Now, how, how do you... And I don't know. And, you no. know, we don't pursue that. We don't focus. I rarely talk about Shahid. I rarely think about him. We've just chosen to focus on our son and not the perpetrator. And after 10 years, I can say that we really, truly, we just, celebrated Peter's would-be 35th birthday with a high school friend of his uh. and, and, and our daughter and her partner. And we had cake that we would have had for Peter, and we had a casserole that we would have had for Peter, and we talked about things that Peter did during life. And I learned even a couple new anecdotes about him that uh. I, from his college uh, friend and high school friend that I, I hadn't heard before, one that he kept Thai peanut sauce in his dorm you know, it's a joy to hear another <laughs> right. little anecdote like that about mm-hmm. our son Peter after ten years after his death. Absolutely, I love it. Well, I love the the way you're dealing with this all this because it's really about our kids and how they lived. It's not about how they died. It's about how they lived and who they are. And I would re- recommend that people definitely get your book and see all those wonderful pictures of Peter and hear the stories about him. He was very, very loved by everyone. And and again, yeah. it, memories don't die. Love does not die. My dentist, mm-hmm. he said the overriding comment that he had after reading the book was, "What a great kid." <laughs> Right. 
So tell us, uh, you've got your website. Tell us how to get there. Are you doing speaking engagements and where um, people can have you come and speak, I assume? Are you working now? I know you did fundraising for organizations. No, I'm not working at, at present. I, I love to talk to people, whether it be one-on-one or in small group settings. I love to talk to churches or grief groups, whatever. My my hope is that uh, to bring hope and compassion to others. Um not with shoulds, because everybody's situation is different, but, but just by sharing my own experience and a shoulder to listen to. Oh, that's great to know. And I have somebody that I might send off their name to you. I just, it was interesting. My daughter was at a <clears throat> service station and we were looking for somebody to help us do some repairs around the house. And this guy gave us her, uh, gave her his card and my husband got in touch with him. He came over to the house and it turned out that his daughter was murdered two years ago. And uh, and he said to my husband as they cried, you know, how many men can cry together? Um, he said, uh, I knew there was a reason I got that, you know, that I met your daughter. It is only, um, you know, a victim of a similar circumstance that can really truly relate to another. And I'm available always through my website or through my email. And give your website uh, again to everyone. M Westra, M W E S T R A. Say, Mary, I just also wanted to congratulate you on Sylvie's birth. Oh, thank you. Your first grandchild, right? Because I that is a delight. And if that's not a reason for hope, (laughs) there you (laughs) go. That's what I was going to say. There's nothing that can shift our energy and bring hope into our lives more than the addition of new family members. I mean, it doesn't replace our old family members, but and it's also someone that we can share memories of Peter with. So I love that Sylvie is in your life. And I love Absolutely. that you put on the website. <laughs> oh, that's great fun. Yeah, Sylvie's almost two, and she's going to have a little baby brother in June. Oh, oh that's wow. wonderful. That's, that's great. Well, Mary, thank you thank so much. Thank you, Gloria and Heidi. Yep. Pleasure to talk to you both. It's been great having you on. Thank you so much. And Keep up your good work. Thank you, and you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, Heidi, uh, Mary's a pretty amazing person, isn't she? I mean, what a lot to go through for that family, and uh, just a lot of hope and uh, a lot of things going on. She is, and like I said, I love her website. It is so, just the colors and everything are so positive, and Peter will live on through these two grandkids. I love it. He's going to live on for eternity, but, you know, like I said, bringing, having new people come into the family is such a wonderful thing after having people leave the family. Absolutely. Well, I just wanted to remind you that uh, you can listen to our show on podcast, and we're also on Voice America. You can find us there. And thanks for listening, and tune in again next week. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.